Hello and welcome to Two Guys, One Cup Summer Edition. My name is Charlie Clawson and this series is my club. And my guest this week is Sam Mack. You know him as the weatherman on Sunrise. He's a Gold Logie nominee and now an author. That's right. He has a book called Accidental Weatherman, which is coming out soon. You can pre-order it now by clicking the link in the episode description below. But Sam's here to talk about the Adelaide Crows. Now, it's hard to believe that in 2017 they were playing in a grand final considering where they are now. Um, but Sam takes us through his history with the club, the era of Godra the Crowbots of the 2000s and everything leading up to the 2017 Grand Final. This is a fantastic chat. Um, Sam is very funny and, and very likeable, but he also is really knowledgeable about the Crows. Um, so ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, here is Sam Mack. Sam, thank you so much for, for joining the show. There's been a lot of um, South Australians who have been chomping at the bit to find out uh, who I'd be getting on the show to talk about the Adelaide Crows. And, and you first came to mind because um, I remembered a grand final, I think it was 2016, where uh, you and I bumped into each other as the crowds were leaving um, uh, the ground and we both wanted to get into the September club, but neither of us had tickets. And what I witnessed <laughs> that day was uh, some of the most uh, uh, ballsy, beautiful improvisation I've ever seen where you approached the security guard at the front of the September club said that, uh, you know, you're the weatherman from Sunrise. Uh, you had to do a live cross. They're waiting for you in there. And uh, I needed to come with you. And they were so bamboozled, they just let us in. And I was like, that guy didn't even think that, hang on, it's like almost 5 p.m. <laughs> Why is the uh, morning weatherman need to do a live cross? Yeah, amazing. I do remember that very clearly. Um, the big difference here is that was before I was a Gold Logie nominee. <laughs> Um, these days it's much smoother. I promise Charlie, it's much smoother, but that was great. I mean, the September club, that's where the real action happens on grand final day. Let's be honest. Yeah. You've got the game during the day and then you've got the games at night, which can sometimes be more compelling than what you see on the field. Yeah. I actually see the grand final itself as the pregame entertainment. <laughs> that's the warm up for the real action, which is generally on the dance floor. Um, normally in my experiences, because I'm there with channel seven, it involves Koshi getting a round of shots for right. everybody. He is the shots guy, which which shocks a lot of people. He is the shot guy at the Christmas party, at grand final. Um, he brings the party vibes, which might surprise a lot of people. Now, you're a Crows man, and you work with a guy who is the head of Port Adelaide. Has that ever brought up any conflict between you two guys? Because that rivalry uh, is very intense. It has, but I, I genuinely believe it's pretty good-natured. Koshi... He loves any opportunity to talk footy. He loves it on the show. And he's often rapped, as in the producers are in his ear going, Koshi, no, got to keep moving, got to keep moving. You know, as much as Koshi thinks it's interesting that Port have a new sponsor who deserve a <laughs> shout out, the producers often think otherwise. <laughs> but so I think he enjoys, you know, and obviously the Crows haven't had the best run over the last couple of years. So 
he will go out of his way to bring footy chat into my weather segments, which normally I'm good with, but over the last year or so, it's really been quite annoying for me. Um, but I've always got this on him, and that is that the Crows have won twice the amount of premierships Port have won. So I've always got that up my sleeve. So tell me, where did your uh, love for the Crows begin? Were you an, a Sandful kid growing up, and then when the Crows were formed, you jumped across? Or how did it start? Yeah, I was a Glenelg, I still am, a Tigers fan, Glenelg in the, in the Sandful. And I used to go to watch them play occasionally with Dad. My dad is a big Hawthorne fan. He's uh, a diehard, and he's not one of those fans that jumped on the bandwagon over the last decade or so. He is from, I think, the 1970s. He's still got, remember the old lace-up yeah. jumpers that they used to yeah. wear? He's got one of those, Gary Bacanara, players like that. He raves about these guys. And dad will occasionally just rip out this old lace-up jumper, this brown and yellow, no sponsors on it. It's certified old school. It's got rips on the side of it. So he's a legitimate Hawks man. And I remember, and a lot of people in South Australia will remember this, when it was the introduction of the Crows to the competition, there was a lot of uh, discussion and debate and um, mystery around whether or not the old school VFL supporters, the people who had clubs, would then transfer to the Crows, jump on this exciting new Adelaide thing, or would they stick to their guns and stay with their original team? And dad was never a chance to be a Crows wow. fan. <laughs> never, not even the slightest moment did he think, yeah, I'm going to support the Crows. So did you have a Victorian team as a kid? Well, only I guess by default, I would kind of cheer on Hawthorne because dad was so passionate about mm. it. But no, I, I kind of, the, the sample was so big back then as well. Like it, it was on TV live, you'd go to the games, you know, you go to Footy Park, full stadium. Port Adelaide Magpies were dominating. Um, it was it was an enormous deal, and so I didn't really invest that much in in the VFL. Mm. But as soon as the Crows, as soon as there was talk of an Adelaide based, you know, AFL VFL team, it's it's hard to describe how exciting that was for a football state like South Australia. Well, it's interesting too because. You know, a lot of us will come into barracking for a team if it's not through the family, it's through friends or however you choose your football team. But generally you're picking a team that has history, that has, you know, players you can look back at that, you know, premierships that they've won or in my case, one premiership that they've won. <laughs> so what's it like? Like how, how do you find a foothold in a team that has been born, you know, from, from nothing essentially? Well, I think everybody just kind of looked at it as an extension of this is state of origin, but yeah, almost right. every week. This is like, there's a phrase that's kind of been, they've tried to, you know, phase it out a little bit, but kick a Vic, like, honestly, people had stickers on their cars. They still do in South Australia. Kick a Vic was the most exciting phrase. It was a phrase that united everybody in South Australia. We all wanted to kick a Vic. <laughs> so to have the opportunity to kick a Vic every week, you know, and, and chuck a few sand gropers in there as well. But to kick a Vic every week was so exciting, and it still is. Yeah, because we, we, I talked to um, – uh, I had Ben Baker on, who's a Port Adelaide supporter, and we talked about the days of State of Origin. Like, it's almost hard to remember now because the national competition is so entrenched. But, you know, State of Origin, uh, it's not as big as what you get in rugby league, but I used to remember going to those State of Origin games and being so passionate about seeing the big V run out there and just also that kind of all-star mentality where all of a sudden you're seeing, oh, my God, like Brent Harvey and Rob Harvey are in the same team. Yeah, yeah, it's a big deal. And it, it was like, yeah, the, the NBA All-Stars. Yeah. It, it, it was exciting. And I think from a South Australian perspective, it was our only opportunity really to, to kick a Vic and it was our only opportunity to 
to show that, hey, we've got some decent players here as well. Just because you guys have the major competition, don't forget about the players here in this state. So I don't know. I guess, you know, if you want to kind of liken it to a global sporting situation, it was like the, the introduction of the the Crows. And I know we're going to get to um, the 1997 grand final, which I can't wait for. <laughs> <laughs> now, let me Sorry, just, a really on, evil laugh. just pause the podcast. I can make myself a drink. <laughs> <laughs> But it was kind of like when Australia won the America's Cup. Right. But, you know, the local version of that, when the Crows won the Premiership in 1997, it, it was that it was the local version of that for us, for South Australians, to beat, you know, to beat the Victorians at the MCG. That was just such a special moment that I think anybody in South Australia, they genuinely know where they were. They know who they were with. It was one of those moments you never ever forget. Well, let's get into it because you brought it up. Uh, I was at the MCG, <laughs> you know, that was my first grand final. And for someone who, you know, followed the Saints through the 80s, success was such a foreign concept. You know, I'd just been used to being like the punchline. And so everything about that experience was new, like winning, you know, a semi-final, winning a prelim, all of it was new, 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 new. And then we get to the yeah. grand final. And I remember sort of uh, my brother, my brother had camped out the night before to get uh, the week before to get tickets, and we got the worst tickets because we were sitting like four rows behind the Adelaide Cheer Squad, essentially. <laughs> and I remember in that first half, you know, so the Saints get out to a good lead. I think we're about twenty points up at half time and feeling pretty good about it. But then in the second quarter, the third quarter, you claw back, and then Jarman goes berserk. And I remember yep. those Adelaide fans turning to my family <laughs> as if we were personally. <laughs> personally represented the entire Victoria and just giving us hell. And at the end of the game, it's interesting what you said about like kick a Vic, because at the end of the game, I was eavesdropping on what all the Crow supporters were saying. And that was definitely the common theme, which is we showed them. We finally showed them, like we showed those Victorians. And I remember at the time being just so insulted because I'm like, you guys want a flag and that's all you can think about is we showed them? Jesus Christ. It's been 130 years I've been waiting for this moment and I still haven't seen it. God damn it. <laughs> well, that, it all adds up. It all adds up. I, I missed out on tickets like a lot of people. I think almost everybody in South Australia wanted to go to that grand final. And obviously there's only an allocation because I think some people might not know this, but the AFL grand final, even to this day, most of the tickets are kind of allocated already, but you know, the season's just started, but the tickets for the grand final, there's so many sponsors, yeah. corporates, all the big Toyotas, McDonald's and their clients. And then the various clubs get a little out. And when it comes to the actual grand final teams, there's not really a huge allocation. So they went so fast and people are going to extreme lengths in South Australia to get them. So I missed out like a lot of people missed out. Um, but that just meant, you know, there were parties everywhere around Adelaide to watch it, but that absolutely adds up because you know, and you you want to be a good winner as well as a good loser, but we weren't good winners no, you because weren't. it was just too exciting. <laughs> and it was <laughs> like, I'll happily put my hand up and say we were bad winners. But it's also that thing too, if you'd only been in the competition for what, less than 10 years? And so yeah. the mindset then is like, ah, oh, well, this is cool. Like you come into the competition, win a flag in your first 10 years. Like this is, this is going to be a cakewalk. I mean, we should talk about that entire sort of final series because – you know, up until the Bulldogs in 2016, I don't think a team has had a better finals run than that 97 run because you were dead and buried like three times and you kept finding ways yeah. to win. I mean, Darren Jarman plays a huge part in that. But I remember listening to the prelim because the Saints had won on the Friday night against North and I was listening to the radio of you guys playing the Bulldogs. 
And the Bulldogs are up at yep. half time. They're up at three quarter time. And I'm like, oh, this is fantastic. Tony Modra gets injured. I'm like, well, even if the Crows do win, they don't have their common medal. They don't have the common medalist. This is going to be great. Yeah. And then like the way you just clawed that way into the, into the prelim final, like prior to 2016, Will still talked about the scars of the 97 prelim. Can you talk through, through that game? Yeah. Well, the whole, that whole final series, and I think, I mean, Malcolm Blight, like I've watched docos and I've been lucky enough to meet him. I've heard him speak, you know, on the lead ups to ground, like the North Melbourne breakfast and that kind of thing. And, you know, he's, he's just one of those guys, like I'm a big soccer fan as well. And he's got around that time, he had that aura of like a Sir Alex Ferguson type, um, just one of those guys that knew how to tell the players what they needed to know, but also shield them from things that he didn't want them involved with. Very protective of the players. And it's hard to describe just, obviously uh, Victoria is you know an AFL state and it's magnified and everything is watched. And, and of course, but the, there's so many teams in Victoria. Take that same mentality and put it in South Australia when we only had yeah. one team. So this is before Port Power. And it's ridiculous. The advertiser, the, the Adelaide paper was basically just, did a crow get a haircut today? <laughs> Let's lead with that. Honestly, it was that ridiculous. So he, Malcolm Blight did an amazing job of keeping a lid on things. And he did the same the next yeah. year, you know, in the, in 98, he just had this ability. He could see, he could see the outside of it all. He wasn't caught up in it. And, and I think that's what it was. I think there was also just this wave of, well, you said it was in our first 10 years. I think it was in our first six years, but we only joined the competition around 1991. So 97, so about six or seven years yeah, in. Wow. Uh, he just, yeah, I mean, I can't speak highly enough of, of what he did, but there was just, it's hard to describe this energy and this momentum of the whole state is so passionately behind you. And it was just this wave of like, every win was like, oh my goodness, that this is becoming real. And then, I feel that because it was your home grand final and after so long, the pressure was on you guys. And we were coming from South Australia with a small group of fans in that stadium comparatively. Mm. And that took a bit of the pressure off and we didn't start very well. Like we, again, we weren't kicking straight, um, but just to have, you know, the thing that a lot of people forget about from that grand final, like you mentioned before, Modra didn't play mm. and Modra, you know, he's Godra. I'm sure we'll talk about him through the podcast, but but it was, um, it was Shane Ellen. So he, he basically came in for Modra, but the, the, a lot of people don't know that his backstory was, I think he played nine games before that. So he played nine games that season without kicking a goal. And he kicked, I believe it was five or six on grand final day. So again, Malcolm Blight having the, the, the thought to go, let's put him in there. Because I think in the, the prelim, Nigel Smart had moved up to, to full forward role. And that didn't quite work because Malcolm Blight always, you know, talked about it. He said, Nigel Smart is a free spirit. You've got to let him roam and, and do his thing. When he's playing a concentrated position like full forward, it's not really him. Mm. Whereas Shane Allen comes in and a lot of people hadn't even really heard yeah. of him. And he played 30 games of AFL and he kicked five or six on grand final day because everyone was looking at McLeod and Jarman yeah. and, and St Kilda were going for this and forgetting about this man who unbelievably just was ice cool on grand final day in front of a hundred thousand people. It's a funny story. Uh, years ago, probably about 2002, 2003, I get this random phone call from the saints membership department from Justin Frankie Peckett. Also he claims. And I was like, 
you're not Frankie Pickett. And he's like, no, no, I 100% am. We just want to make sure that the Saints have got your support this year. And I'm like, if you're Frankie Pickett, who did you play on in the 97 Grand Final? And he said, oh, Shane Ellen. I'm like, oh, my God. You are Frankie Pickett. Are you okay? <laughs> I mean, it was true. I bet he would have loved that chat. Yeah. The poor guy's just trying to do some office work, trying to... Keep the members happy. And he's gone, oh, bloody hell. We're talking about that game again. I mean, I think there was quite a few Saints players that were traumatized. That, Like Jamie Shanahan is the other one. Because he had Jarman uh, for most of the day. And it's it's amazing what like a, a, a burst, uh, just one quarter with a superstar can do. Like It's like Stuart Dew in the 2008 grand final. Yeah. Like he just had that moment where he was unstoppable. And, and you could see that what Malcolm Blight did after that was just clear the forward line get Jarman one-on-one and put the ball to him. And it didn't matter if the ball was in the air, it was on the ground. That was the dagger in the heart. I mean, it's, I've had so many daggers in my heart. I'm kind of numb to it now, Sam. <laughs> but like at that time, I do remember thinking like, oh, God damn it, like we just let this slip. But then you back it up the very next year. And I think that's almost the more impressive premiership. Is 97, you could sort of say, oh, well, they just fluked at St Kilda, had a run of bad luck. They lost their Ruckman, injuries. Nicky Winmar's father died the week of the grand final, whatever. But then to yeah. go back to back, I mean, that just consolidates the legitimacy of that team, right? It does. And and the that series, that final series, the 98 final series, that was a really, really tough series. The, the Crows had to go to WA and we beat West Coast in W in Perth, which is, that's a huge task. And I think we were in Melbourne twice uh in sydney once beat sydney in a muddy rainy rainy night in scg and and again malcolm blight knew exactly how to and i've watched docos on this and and obviously you know at the time you remember all the chats and and he just had this focus of saying i'm not even thinking i'm not even talking if the players start talking about back to back i'll kick them out He, he was so he was so ahead of the curve with that he was like what is the task in front of us okay, we're playing Sydney, in Sydney. All right, this is our focus. He wasn't even thinking if we beat them, then we could play. He wasn't allowing them. And almost because he was so highly regarded, I feel that when he spoke, the, the state kind of listened. Like, you know, it's, it's, rare for, it's rare for fans to keep a lid on things. But I felt that, you know, you'd almost echo his sentiments. You would be like, well, no, we're not thinking about that because this is the task at hand. That's amazing. Which is like... When you can give a pep talk and the entire state is taking on board your messaging, you are in charge. You are the boss and we'll do whatever you say, Sir, Sir Malcolm. And it worked again. Um, and we actually ended up winning that, you know, against North Melbourne, like quite convincingly. Yeah, it's, it's amazing too when you think about the fact that you did have probably the biggest star in the game at the time in Tony Modra. You know, like it's, it, we live in an era now of like a satur- media saturation and a lot of players get a lot of attention. But you've got to throw your mind back to a one-team town in the 90s. And he was he was your quintessential, like, high-flying forward. Like, if you, uh, you want to uh, spend, like, a great uh, Sunday afternoon, I, I recommend just highlight, uh, looking up uh, 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 Tony Mudra highlights. Like, that dude was so yeah. exciting to watch. What was it like having this rock star? I mean, how do you keep a lid on it when he's good-looking, he can play football. The Crows are winning games. Like, how do how does that not get out of control? It, it did get out of control, but in the best possible way. And I think that was part of the that was part of the crossover. That was part of what made it not just about football. It was pop culture. Yep. You know, it's it was like a David Beckham at Manchester United. Amazing player, 
winning team, um, young guy, good looking, ticks every box possible, marketer's dream. Yeah. And he was, he was everywhere. He was, you know, always front page of the paper, always leading the news stories, always on the billboards, you know, selling the Balthus pies, you know, like put Tony's face on it and people would buy the chocolate milks, whatever it Farmers was. Union. Tony Modra. Yeah, yeah. Farmers Union Ice Coffees for sure. He was just everywhere. And he was the crossover. I think he was the link between, you know, even people who hated or didn't care about footy, and there weren't many in South Australia, and there still isn't many, would know and would be a fan of Tony Modra. Mm. And and that's why it was that that cruel twist of him missing that grand final. And I, I don't know, like there's, there's I remember so, it, like there's so, vision. So, okay, so he, when, he, when he the, was injured for 97, but then he wasn't selected yeah. for 98. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So strange. But, but 97... He was injured and there's footage I remember um, after after we'd won and, you know, the celebrations are taking place and you know how everyone tries to get onto the, the centre straight away. There's footage of him on the crutches, like trying to get out there as quick as he can. But it's, it's heartbreaking from the sense of like, you know, you are a huge part of why we're here. Mm. You want, you want him to be able to, to enjoy that as a player, obviously. And it, that's sport though, isn't it? You have those stories in every, every year there's a version of that story, but heartbreaking from that sense but also heartbreaking from a fashion sense because like honey modra like obviously good looking guys style icon if you have a look at this you can find it on youtube he is wearing the crow's jacket which is you know navy blue red yellow but he's paired it with some of the baggiest beige slacks yeah. <laughs> like shirt and they tie. are tense like circus tents it's it's a really bad look and now that's immortalised as his grand final day. So not only did he not get to play, he's 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 on the list of some of the worst fashion offenders of all time. They are so baggy. Like remember when everyone used to wear those Fubu yeah, pants? Yeah. It was around that phase of like Fubu and Dada. Like it was gangster Tony Modra, but beige slacks with a tracksuit top. Like Adelaide already has a reputation as not being the fashion capital of the world. Tony, even Godra couldn't save us with that one. I mean, yeah, you're right. There's a beige slacks, but it was it was partnering the beige slacks the tracksuit top. But underneath the tracksuit top, he's wearing an an oversized business shirt and one of those like crows club ties and then a crows baseball cap it's like he got dressed in a st vinnie's <laughs> it really is it really is i mean if tony modra can't look good then you know he there's something wrong and somehow he managed to not look good that day so it, it is it is heartbreaking though like he put you guys on the map and so i understand that there was a for, not a falling out, but obviously Malcolm Blight lost faith in him in, in 98. There's a part of you wish that maybe, um, you know, Malcolm had just uh, included him, if, if for nothing else, than just to acknowledge everything he'd given the club over the previous five or six years? Part of me, yes. But I think a more dominant part of me is you have to trust the boss and the results speak for themselves. And unfortunately, in sport... Yes, sentimentality is nice, but sentimentality will not always win you a premiership. And he, he is a guy who, like a Sir Alex, will happily tell the best player, if they're not working within the team operation, then I'll sacrifice you because I'm going to win this thing and this is what's required to win it. So I trust Malcolm Blight. It's a shame people can't see your flinty-eyed determination as you talk, Sam. I'm, I'm getting a chill down my spine as you cast Tony Modra to the scrap heap in pursuit of the ultimate glory. My God. And, I know, and your listeners can't see my In Malcolm We Trust tattoo. <laughs> 
So let's talk about um, uh, uh, you rolling out of that period, that 97, 98 success. And then I guess, you know, Malcolm Blight is moved on and you move into the kind of 2000s, which is a really interesting period, I reckon, for the Crows, because that's the Crowbot Neil Craig era where you guys are one of the most workmanlike, dependable teams who are making like regular finals appearances and always tipped to do well, but never quite getting to a grand final or even really threatening in a, in a, in a prelim. So what was your feeling as a supporter of that time? Did you feel, was it, had you gone from the dizzying heights of 97, 98 to this feels strange or did you just feel like you're going to get it together at some point and be back? Um, a little bit of both, I think. I mean, there was, it, you, you can't um, overstate what it meant to win a flag and then obviously to win two. You almost feel like, I think Crows fans felt like it legitimised us as, you know, we are a contender. We are a real, you know, part of this competition. And if you're going to get into a slagging match or, or whatever, we've got that in our kitty. We've got that in our back yeah. pocket. And, you know, we're, we're pretty solid here. But, yes, when you do have that that back-to-back, that level of success, you you can't help but expect it to a degree. Yeah. And and I think, I think you know, Hawthorne fans have, have gone through that over the past five or so years after what their run. Uh, Richmond fans at some point will, will experience that, hopefully soon. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it was disappointing. I mean, as a, like I'm a sports fan and I mentioned before, Manchester United fan. Manchester United were winning everything around that time. So <laughs> I've got to be honest, I was probably... You know, my, my kitty was full with like, okay, good, I'm getting some victories. But yes, it was very frustrating, as as have the last couple of years been. Of course, you know, we had the recent grand final, which was... And I was going to ask you, actually, about about your day after that loss. You, you mentioned the thing with the, the Crows fans. Mm. How was that? What, what did you do immediately after that at the MCG? Did you just go straight home or what, do you remember what you did? Because I have a very clear, even the, the most recent, the 2017 grand final as a Crows loss, that feeling is hard to describe. I mean, I, I hate that I have to ask this question, but which loss are you talking about? <laughs> the 2009 or 2010 or, or the, what, what did, the draw? What are we talking well, about? Well, let, let's like, run me through a few of them because I find it really interesting. <laughs> uh, well, 97... I feel like because it was such uh, unknown territory, I was only like 18 or 19 at the time. Uh, it, it, I, I don't really remember much about it. I think it just it just felt like a blur. And it was also almost like easy come, easy go kind of thing. Like we'd come from the clouds, barnstormed in the finals and didn't get there. And then next year was regular programming. Um, but n- 2009, I think, is the one that really hurts. But it took a long time to realise that it hurt. Uh, because I remember being there and and we were all over Geelong like we were we were beating them in the contest we had more scoring shots we just could not kick straight and I was feeling very calm and confident most of the game to the last quarter when I was like shit like we have not put them away yet we've held this very slender lead all day we haven't put them away and then you know the toe poke and they and they win and I remember leaving the ground kind of in shock, you know, like the opening scene of um, Saving yeah. Private Ryan where there's that shot of that soldier walking around with one arm, you know, he's, he's holding his arm that's been blown <laughs> off and he's just like, it's it's very mundane because he's, you know, he's in such a state of shock. That's kind of what it was. I remember a dude, a guy I know, a Saint supporter, as I was exiting the MCG, grabbing me and he was furious. Like he was really upset and furious and he was like, fucking this and fucking yeah. that. 
And I just remember being very calm and being like, oh, yeah, well, you know, no, I think, you know, we, we played a good game. But it wasn't until, you know, two weeks later where it sunk in and I was just like, God damn it. Like, and then I have yeah. not been able to – well, that's not true. I went back to watch the game last year for the first time. So right. almost 10 yeah. – uh, 11 years later. Um, so that was one feeling. Then the other game is obviously the draw, which was a completely oh, different yes. kind of thing. So uh, I thought we had that game won when Goddard took the screamer in the goal square. We didn't win it. Then the draw happens and everyone is in a daze. No one knows what's going on. And then I had a very sinking feeling leading up to the replay. And then obviously at that game, it was over by halftime and – that was yeah. horrendous. Like, I don't wish that on anyone to see your team thrashed by Collingwood. Hearing that, Collingwood, <laughs> echo around the MCG for like two quarters was was horrendous. But I've got a PhD <laughs> in suffering and loss when it comes to football. So, I mean, look, I think I, I often joke that like, you know, if I'm haunted about that bounce of the ball that got away from Stephen Milne, imagine what it does to Stephen Milne. So, yeah, you know, yeah. if you're haunted by what happened in 2017, you know, it, it completely makes sense what happened to your players after that, you know, and what's happened to your club since then. Yeah, yeah, it's it's hard to describe. Like, it's such a, it's such a personal feeling. Like, even though you're not playing, mm. you know, like, you're not, you don't have to be there. You're choosing to invest your time, emotion, energy, money into this experience um, and then, yeah, I remember that, that the Richmond grand final, the Crows Richmond grand final, when we started, okay, we were leading. Um, and I was there at a work capacity as well. I was, I hosted uh, an event in the, in the September club. So <laughs> didn't, you know, didn't have to lie to get in this time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I remember like being before the game in a good way, like quite sidetracked so I was thinking about other things yeah. but then once the game started I made sure I was in there you know 15-20 minutes before the first bounce and I was in there to watch the game and I had no more work required so I could actually focus and and I'd organize because a, a lot of my mates you know people who are there know that I'm a Crows fan and they were like what are you doing after the game we'll do this we'll do that we'll do this so all these things were sort of like half in place mm -hmm. and I remember the feeling I knew that I would be disappointed if we lost but I think the optimism of of us starting pretty well and being in the lead and you know, it was a, a sunny day at the MCG. It was just all these things. I'm like, this is perfect. This is perfect. And then it wasn't. And, were, and, and I, were, I remember it, actually... You were raging favourites as well. I mean, that's a thing. Like yeah, Richmond yeah. were the, the, the rank outsiders. Like everyone expected the Crows yeah. to win. And you'd had almost the perfect season leading up to that. Absolutely. Yeah, and you can't help but feel like this is our day. This is, you know, everything's going according to plan. And then Richmond were too good. They, they, they were unbelievable um, in that second half. But... I remember just walking and getting a cab and going back to the hotel and not doing yeah. anything. And I remember like, I didn't even respond to all my mates who like we'd half committed to like, we'll go to the pub, we'll do this, we'll do that. And I remember just feeling really flat, really flat, like a flatness that I hadn't felt for a long time. And, and just uh, basically I was a sook. I took my bat and ball and went home back to the Sofitel and just, yeah, had a wine and went to bed and, and, it really affected me. It was it was deeply, deeply disappointing. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Because like you say, this is a completely arbitrary choice. You don't have to let this affect mm -hmm. you. <laughs> you, know, you can just say it's a game. 
You know, I don't actually, I didn't play. I had invested nothing more than maybe a membership in this season. But <laughs> it, it doesn't work like that because in order to enjoy the wins, you have to also suffer the, the losses. And this is a discussion yeah. I have with, you know, my wife all the time because she's not really a sports fan. Um, and so I've had to like educate her on, you know, <laughs> the history of the St Kilda Football Club. And the more she learns about them, the more she's like, why do you follow them? Like, why, you know, what, what, is, this is not yeah. a... Is she like, Charlie, Charlie, if only you had this passion for our marriage. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it probably does make her a question, what do I see in her if this is what I'm attracted to in a football team? <laughs> but it's, it's, I have to sort of explain to her that it is, it's more than just the wins and losses. It's the history that you have with the club. It's going to the games with my dad, you know, it's, you know, uh, some of, some friends of mine, 90% of our friendship is based around football and the saints, you know, like I, and, and I don't think, I don't say that in a derogatory way. I think it's, it's great. I love having something to bond with, you know, bond over with friends, but that is the trade-off, isn't it? You know, you, you love greatly, then you'll grieve greatly when, when bad things happen. I think, yeah. I think the, the interesting thing is um, the psychological effect of what happens to the players afterwards. I think what we're seeing with the Crows now is very much, you know, what we're seeing happening with the Giants because after their humiliating loss is very much what happened to the Saints after 2010 is that, you know, these guys yeah. are a, a, a razor-sharp a, a razor focus on winning a premiership and then they get to the biggest stage, especially if there's expectation that they're going to win and they don't perform, yep. like, of course, that's going to make you question yourself. If you followed, you know, everything that your coach said, this is the thing that will bring you success, and you got 99.9% .9 of the way, but then that last 0.1%, you couldn't get across the line, then you'd question everything. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's also part of the joy of sport, uh, you know, from a more neutral perspective, like, you know, the, the Marlon Pickett story, mm. You know, you have these stories emerge where, you know, we were talking about um, um, Shane Ellis before, like you, you have these stories emerge that you can't preempt, you can't write really. Uh, they seem uh, out of the realms of possibility until it happens. And, but that's part of the unpredictability of sport and, and why it's, why it captivates us, I think. And some days it will go your way, other days it won't. And you have to accept that that's part of it. I think also after the year of what, what we all experienced last year and not being able to go to the footy. And you were just talking about how a lot of your friendship groups, a lot of your social engagements are through football and your friends mm. and to have that ripped away from us and particularly for Victorians to have it ripped away on a, a level that, you know, New South Wales, we, we didn't have. Um, I think it, I, I imagine that it reminds you of just how important that is, not just from a sporting perspective, but from a mental health perspective and from yeah. a just feeling connected and, and catching up with your friends, you realize that it is so much more than the sport. Yeah. yeah there's a, it's a healthy release, you know, like I often try and explain to Jem, you know, the, uh, the artistry in football, you know, and, and the stories and, and the meaning we imbue in it. And she's actually, she's got a very intuitive understanding of most football teams. Like she can look, at a West Coast and be like, oh, you know, they seem like school prefects, you know, or she can look at a Richmond and be like, oh, they're really, they're really rock and roll. Like she, she can pick up on all that I sort of that. like subtle intuitive stuff about a football club. So what do you think is the culture of Adelaide? Like what, what is the, what is the essence of this club? 
I think that's part of our problem at the moment. We're a little bit lost with with that identity. Um, you know, you just mentioned we have had such dramatic changes in our list. Um, you know, on on a surface level, we have gone in. The, I think it's in the space of two years. We have gone from the third oldest list in the AFL to now the youngest. So third oldest to youngest in two years. That's such a dramatic change. Um, we have. I think half of our list is 21 or younger. So obviously that's such a big change. And I think that, you know, there's been a lot of talk over the last year or two of, of camps that happened after grand finals and like all of these types of things. And I think it is a bit divided. And I think that, I think that we are a little bit lost and, you know, and I don't want to turn that into, I've never been one to like jump on the, telling everyone what they're doing wrong. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't think that is productive. And I think that's the easy way to go down. it. I'm a supporter. So I want to see the best for the club and I accept that we're having a bad run, but I'm still going to support you. And I, I just want to see us. We've still got great leaders in there. Rory Sloan, we've still got Tex in there. Mm. We've still got these guys who are experienced and still can absolutely deliver. So this is exciting to see some young guys who are going to learn from, from these players who are established and, and I'm I'm more optimistic than I think a lot of Crows fans are. Like I don't I don't think we're going to win the Premiership this year, but I think I think we're not going to get the wooden spoon. And let's just let, use that as a starting point. Um, but I think that honestly, I, I do believe. Obviously, there's, there was the tragedy of of Phil Walsh in 2015, which would shake any club, you know, and the fans and the players and the group. And you know, you can't prepare for that. And there's no there's no rule book. There's no list on how you negotiate your way through something like mm. that so i think that definitely affected the club uh in so many ways um and i think yeah the short answer i think we're a little bit lost but but all is not lost like we we, we will rebuild and that's part of what we're doing right now with young guys i see it as an exciting thing like we're going to find some superstars in that group yeah it's funny isn't it how this pursuit of of success can lead clubs uh you know down a strange path you know whether it was melbourne to supplement scandals or Adelaide with the collective yeah. minds. I mean, it's all about trying to find an edge. I mean, it's, I think that the thing about the collective minds thing that, you know, why it sort of stayed in the press for so long was Australians are very forgiving of their athletes and, and sporting organisations if they will own up. Yeah. But because there was such kind of secrecy about what happened, I mean, eventually, you know, they had to, Sanderson and, and was it Burton, they had to front the media and say, okay, this is what happened. But that was after months and months of kind of rumor well, and speculation. And I think that if they'd nipped it in the bud, maybe some of that damage could have been um, mitigated, but you can't blame the club for wanting to find an advantage. You know, they got misled by uh, you know, a, a group that said, we can help you overcome those mental scars. The exact thing that we we're talking about that can happen to your club after a grand final loss. So, you know, yeah. they just went with the wrong group and, I mean, I don't know how many corporate training exercises you've done, but I've been to like, I've done trust exercises and crazy shit that you're like, is this really going to make me like a better actor? Is this really you know, going to make me more bonded with the people I work with? Well, yeah, I've done those things, but I do them almost daily live on air as part of my role as a TV weatherman. <laughs> what? Bungee jumping? Sure. Sounds like a great idea. Uh, yeah, I do those things all the time, but it's, it's solo bonding because no one else is willing to do them. <laughs> well, I think it's, you know, you, when you're, when you have an exodus of players too, so, you know, you lose Charlie Cameron and then Eddie Betts obviously goes yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah. uh, is it Greenwood who went to Gold Coast? Um, not Greenwood, 
what's his name? Anyway, uh, anyway the blonde guy. <laughs> so, but what that kind of suggests, like Essendon are experiencing at the moment is, okay, whatever regime was in place is not working and you really do need to go back to the start. I mean, you feel badly for guys like Tex Walker because, you know, he seemed... He was, he was I voted, I think, two years in a row. He was voted as, like, you know, the best captain by, you know, the AFL Players Association. And, and unfortunately, it looks like he'll finish his career without a premiership. But watching um, Making Their Mark on, on Amazon and seeing the influence he is around the club and Rory Sloan as well. I mean, I didn't really know much about him as a person before I started watching that documentary. But you just sort of see the way he's so selfless. You know, he sees where the club's at. And he, you know, he has to sort of talk the talk and say we can win any game and because that's, you know, that's a captain's job. But what you see him doing in his actions is actually preparing, you know, these draftees for, for what's, what's to come. What a great role model. I haven't seen that series yet. I've, I've heard great things about it. I'm looking forward to, to checking that out. But, I mean, I've been lucky enough to, you know, film a few bits and pieces and get to know Rory and Bell a little bit and... What an amazing role model for, for those young guys, for that half of our list that are under 21, to be every day seeing how someone like Rory Sloan goes about his business on and off the, the field. Uh, I can't speak highly enough of him. He deserves that, that opportunity as captain. And he's very, very well regarded, um, you know, from the media to the fans to the players. Uh, that, that's a well-rounded professional athlete. Um, yeah, and, and superstar, like unbelievable ability. But... But what's, I think, just as valuable is, is all the other parts that make up Rory Sloan. I mean, if we're talking about the culture of the Adelaide Crows, in that same documentary, Rory talks about, you know, he's actually he's a Victorian, grew up barracking for the Saints, apparently, which um, grinds my gears a little bit. But <laughs> he talks about arriving in South Australia and not having any family, neither he or his partner knew anyone. And so the club became his family. And because of the way he was welcomed in and, uh, uh, you know, um, the support he was given, he feels this like intense loyalty to the club. And so it's interesting because this is not, you know, Adelaide are a team that was sort of formed in the early 90s um, without this history, but what they are, have created in a very short time is this this culture. And I think it's like people, I'm not one of these people who uh, hates the national competition or rags on expansion teams. I want AFL to do well. I want more teams. You know, I want Gold Coast to be successful and I want GWS to be successful. But you always see this criticism of, oh, they're a corporate club. You know, they're the McDonald's of, of football. But yep. a club has to start somewhere. And I think Adelaide are proof that, you know, if you get the right players together, the right coaching staff, and obviously a very passionate football state, you can have success and you can build that culture very quickly. I think GWS are almost there. I think they need a flag like you guys got in six years to really solidify yeah. it. But everything else they have in place seems to be correct. I agree. I agree. I think um, the, the competition is only stronger. I mean, look at look at what uh, a club like West Coast, you know, have given to the competition over that period where, you know, they were one of the first to come in as well. And they... It's, you know, it's, it's, it's theatre and it's exciting. Oh, you've got to go to the West and it's always oh, tough to go to the West and to play to beat the Eagles over there. And then, you know, when they won their premierships and, and they're coming over to Melbourne almost every week and, and it's, it's hard yakka, but they got there. And that, what a great story. I think, I think it was just Melbourne or just VFL. Sure, it's a strong competition, but 
you need that flavor of the the other states and and i think i agree that the more of that you know within reason the more of that the better and initially i think a lot of people in south australia were like really do we need another team we've got the crows crows are doing well do we need this then we heard it was going to be you know connected to the magpies and we're like we definitely don't need this (laughs) (laughs) but the power the power to their credit you know they've won a flag they're right up there They'll, they'll be up there this year um and and they've added something and then you've got showdowns and then for a place like south australia to have a showdown it's the buzz is just unbelievable it's like a grand final it really is where there's the build-up there's you know the parties after it just you could have a bad season but win both the showdowns and it's actually not a bad season (laughs) is there a particular showdown that's a favorite of yours um not really a particular i think that they're they're always it's always the one that you kind of you you circle and you know when it is like you know if it's five weeks away and there's it always feels like if you win a showdown it's more it's more than four points it's more than a regular season game so ben baker the the port adelaide supporter i had on a couple weeks ago he says the hatred is real i mean he's a port adelaide supporter and he took great pride in being that kind of like working class you know uh uh, anti-adelaide football club do you feel the same way or is it that kind of, is there an inferiority complex with Port Adelaide where, you know, you always look to the bigger club and, and, and hate them, but the big club doesn't really think about you that much? <laughs> you know what? You know, I haven't really thought about this. <laughs> well, there much. you go. It's an interesting question. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel, do you know what I think it is? I think that um, I've actually softened a little bit in my hatred towards Port because of working with Koshi every day. Here's a prime example. Yeah. <laughs> we, um, Obviously, Port, you know, made the finals last season and I was in Adelaide and doing the show, doing Sunrise in Adelaide. And I said on the air, kind of semi-jokingly, oh, and the, the Port Power are playing tonight. Um, I think they're playing Richmond. And it was a Thursday night game. And I hadn't really been to see many games at Adelaide Oval. And I said on the air, I said, oh, if only I knew someone in a senior <laughs> position at Port that might be able to hook me up with some tickets. Oh, still waiting. Oh, maybe one day like sort of jokingly. And then he messaged me after and he said, were you joking or do you want to actually come to the game tonight? And I said, oh, kind of joking, but look, if there's a ticket going, like, yeah, I'm around. I'd love to go and watch it. And he said, oh, um, I'll get back to you. Two hours later, I get a call from um, someone at the club and they've organized tickets, but not only tickets, I'm in the port. um, (laughs) I'm behind enemy lines. I'm in the port corporate area with Koshi. So, so it's like 25 minutes to bounce. It's like maybe 30 minutes from first bounce. What do you, and Koshi's calling What me. are you wearing? Are you got your scarf on? You got your jersey on? No, I'm in civvies. I'm just undercover. in a white shirt. Nothing, no club represented. Yeah, undercover. And, and Koshi's calling me and he's like, where are you, mate? They're serving food. I didn't realize that I was actually sitting on his wow. table with the, you know, the fine whining and dining. And so I get in there and he was so great he was very hospitable on a very important night for him a very busy night for him and and i couldn't help but feel you know you get swept up in your environment and i you know all all the port people were really lovely and welcoming to me and a lot of them knew that i was a crow supporter so i've I've got to be honest i've I've softened uh in my hatred for port 
I mean, obviously I want to see them lose, but, but I've softened. I, I, I used to want to see them lose by 20 goals. Now I want to see them lose by eight to yeah. 10. I mean, it's amazing how a president's lunch will uh, endear a team to you, isn't it? I mean, I, 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 Hey, a good, South, a, a good South Australian wine will work wonders. <laughs> I think I've been a proxy Bulldog supporter for quite a few games, especially in 2016. <laughs> I, I was sitting with like the Bulldogs faithful uh, in the 2016 grand final and I was like, this is great, but I kind of feel like I'm the bridesmaid. <laughs> I feel like I'm watching my best friend get married. And where's my fella? That's what I want to know. When, when will it be Charlie's day? So you've had... Yeah, very true. So you've had um, so many superstars uh, go through your club, Brownlee medalists. Is there one player that stands out amongst all others as your all-time favourite? Yeah, Eddie Betts. Um, Eddie Betts on so many levels. I mean, I again, like like what we were talking about with Rory Sloan, I, I really admire Eddie Betts for what he does off the field as well as on the field. I think, again, such a um, well-rounded person, well-rounded human being who, and I know people at the club and I know I know things that he's done that, that aren't public and I know work that he does with Indigenous communities, but also with kids at schools and, you know, he's got his kids' books out. I know what he does and, you know, making videos for kids who are in hospital. I know that most clubs and most players do that, but I, I've heard so many stories about what Eddie Betts does that I just can't speak highly enough, but also on the field, like, you know, as a, I seem, I'll, I'll be completely honest, like, Footy is my second sport. I, I love footy. I really care about footy, but I'm a soccer person first and foremost. You know, I grew up playing soccer. I represented Australia at international level schoolboy soccer. I don't really want to bang on about it, but yes, I'm an international. Um, we played against powerhouses such as Fiji and uh, the Solomon Islands. Uh, <laughs> um, so, so, but what Eddie Betts has is it's it's a magic. It's it's a skill that very few players possess. Mm. He does things that he does things that even the opposition supporters, when they're losing, will applaud and go, "Yeah, fair play, fair play. That was special. That was part of what was worth paying my ticket price to come and watch this game." Um, you know, he 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 made me a video when when I was um, nominated for the Gold Loki, which was probably the highlight of the whole experience for me. Like the sunrise played like a montage of a few people wishing me luck. And, and I just heard it. It was like, g'day Sam, it's Eddie Betts here. I know you're a big crows man and we're all behind you for the gold Logie. So uh, that was pretty special. And I feel like I let Eddie Betts down by not winning. <laughs> so <laughs> well, that's okay. I feel, I feel a little, you owed him after yeah. 2017. <laughs> so <laughs> quid pro quo. And, and I think, I think it's also like, um, Okay, so say you have, you know, you just use the analogy of like, you know, where, where's, why am I the bridesmaid? I feel like it's the Eddie Betts situation is almost like, you know, you break up with someone, mm. but you had a great relationship with someone and you genuinely wish them the best. Yeah. Like you genuinely, they're a good person. You want them to be happy. But then seeing Eddie Betts in the blues again, in the Carlton again, is like seeing the ex-girlfriend with the new boyfriend who possibly is more attractive than you and muscular and that's the feeling it's like it's still you're so conflicted because you're like i want eddie to be happy and i want him to like finish his career well and kick a lot of nice goals but also oh really carlton come on mate you could have just had one more season with us you know <laughs> for old time's sake so that's that i'm conflicted with the eddie betts thing but he is absolutely 
the player. You know, Andrew McLeod would also be right up there. Tony Modra. There's, there's a list, but but Eddie Betts, if I have to pick one, um, just for pure magic and the excitement that he brings to to the sport on and off the field. Yeah, I also think it's his. He clearly enjoys the game, even as a as a veteran now. Like he he plays like the way you used to play when you were 12 years old, when you would just go for the impossible <laughs> yeah. snap from the boundary line, where you couldn't get the smile off your face. I mean, I hate to keep harping on about this documentary. You'd think that well, they are a sponsor of the show, so it's probably not a bad thing. <laughs> <clears throat> but they have some great um, uh, mic'd up footage of him playing a game, and it's the week after uh, he, all that um, uh, that he had been racially vilified on, on, online. And he'd sort of made a stand and, and, and he'd done a lot of press around it. So there was a fair bit of attention on him going into this game. And you would have thought that considering the heaviness of the week that had just gone by, that maybe there'd be heaviness to him. But no, as soon as he hit the ground, he's joking and laughing and, and like giving shit to the, the opponents, but not in a mean way, in a fun way. And it's just the most endearing, you know, five minutes of footage. Because you, you're just like, I mean, this is... This, this is what you would imagine being a professional footballer would be, just fun running around, but it's clearly not. You know, they have to train, they have to diet, they do these yeah. pre-seasons that suck. Yet for a guy to get through all that in his, what, 15th season and still play like it's his first year, no wonder he's the most beloved figure in the game. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And, you know, you put yourself in Eddie Betts' shoes for a moment and, he would be he would be sick of having to have those conversations like like all of us are like it's it's embarrassing as a nation that that this stuff is still happening and yes it it doesn't happen on the scale that the media might lead us to believe that it happens but it does still happen mm. and he would be sick of it and and i don't think i mean i can't speak on his behalf but i don't imagine that he would want to dedicate so much of his time to being the figurehead and the spokesperson for all this stuff but he's almost forced to but the way that he handles it is, is so impressive. Like you say, he'll, he'll say what he needs to say, but then he'll still go out and turn it on and have fun and, and be you know an amazing advert for the game on and off the field. But yeah, I, I, c- I can imagine he's just sick of having to have those conversations. Understandably, it's, yeah, it's, it's really, I think, I think it's, um, it's great. It's great to see that it, it is decreasing. I feel that it really is like at the footy, you know, even five, ten years ago, I think less people would have called out the fan who shouts out a stupid comment. Yeah. I think these days, it's people have got it on their mobile phones. It's starting to get through. There's still a bit of work to do, obviously, but yeah, I, I just I, I love talking about Eddie Betts as a footballer as well, like that, and like you just said, one one of the greatest and probably the most loved in the game at the moment, um, and just just pure excitement and magic and. Yeah, it's it's a big loss from from the Crows, but big big win for the comp. Now, Sam, there's there's a few questions I like to ask all my guests towards the end of an episode. Uh, what is your most cherished memory to do with the Crows? It can be a game, or it can be an interaction, anything. Yeah, well, you know, I think it's the '97 Grand Fuck Final. You. We spoke about it. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you giving me the wind up all of a sudden? <laughs> um and like from my perspective you know you were there I I couldn't get tickets and I watched it at a soccer club which tells you a lot about how much it took over the state like the soccer club put on a you know big screen Crows grand final come and watch it and I would have been was it 97 I would have been about 15 or 16 probably and I think that was the first time that I ever had a beer 
like an actual beer that was my beer, not like having a sip of your parents, or whatever. 15, 16, had a beer in front of adults. And I think that was the night I became a man. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we won a flag, we kicked a Vic and I drank a beer. And it was South Australian beer, Cooper's Pale Ale, mind you. Of course. You washed it down with a farmer's union and a Balfour's pie. <laughs> that, 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 you know, um, Darren Jarman, uh, just the whole... The whole, just the excitement of the state, the parties that happened. Mm. Um, it, it was like, you know, like a World Cup, you know, when you see like the country that wins the World Cup, the parties on the streets. It really was that. Ad- Adelaide, South Australia. And I think the other thing which we didn't touch on is um, we're still bitter about losing the Grand Prix to Victoria. And, and that was about, and it was about 10 years later that we won the flag. So we were still, so, we're still bitter today. Yeah, right. So if you can imagine only 10 years after the fact that we'd lost the Grand Prix to Victoria, there were all these things combined that just made that the perfect time. So conversely, what's your worst memory or your worst experience to do with the Crows? Being at the losing grand final. Yeah, that sucks. Being at the losing grand final because, yeah, just the build up, the excitement, like you said earlier, we were the favourites. You know, I, I had all these... Uh, plans and ideas on how we were going to celebrate. We looked good early. So you had that inflated expectation. And then we lost to a better side who, who were phenomenal in the second half. You can't deny them that, but just the, the flat, the flat feeling after a lost grand final. I don't know. Have you experienced that? No, no, I don't know what you're talking about. He says, as he rips his fingernails out underneath the desk. Uh, Do you think the power stance had anything to do with the loss? Yeah, yeah, probably. <laughs> I mean, it really set a precedent. Like, I think everyone, I was at a pub in Melbourne watching it, and uh, I went into that game fully expecting to see the Crows win their third flag. But something changed when I saw that power stance. I'm like, what are they doing? It seems so out of character with the way you'd played the entire season. You'd just been very dominant and very workmanlike, very Adelaide, if, I, if I'm honest. Like, there'd been nothing yeah. kind of like out of the ordinary. And then just to see Tex Walker, who's probably the most like straight up and down black and white bloke you'll ever like with a mate, doing that power stance, looking like he's the lead singer of the Backstreet Boys. <laughs> it just <laughs> felt wrong. So I reckon we can probably trace it all to that one decision. I mean, that's a fair point. And I haven't really discussed this with many people, but that is a fair point. It was very American, yes. which is not, it's not what you want to be doing. Um, and, and I think that, look, had we won, though, we would probably be saying, hey, how good's the power stance? It's the new Everyone haka, which we're doing it every game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you on that. I'm, I'm definitely not going to defend the power stance. <laughs> now, if, um, if for some reason with a magic wand, uh, the Crows ceased to exist, there was no men's team, there was no women's team, they were a non-entity, do you think that you would continue to follow football? Would you pick another team? I would. I would absolutely continue to follow. Um, I haven't really thought about picking another team. Um, the first team that came to mind because of dad was Hawthorne, but I, I can't ever see myself as being a Hawthorne supporter. And I'd feel like a fraud if, if I was. It definitely wouldn't be Port Power, despite my hatred for them softening over the last couple of years. Um, I, I, I really can't decide... Um, you know, you're wearing a St Kilda hat at the moment. I can see you on Zoom, and I you can I can see what you're trying. I see where you're going with this question, but absolutely not. No, I wouldn't have sought St Kilda. <laughs> oh, you know what? I, I worked I worked for the Fremantle Dockers for a couple of years when I lived in Perth, 
and I got along really well with the, the players and the club. And at that time, I don't know if it's still the case, but they had the highest number of female members from any AFL club, which I thought was cool. Um, they do some really great things at the club there. They haven't quite had the success that, you know, that, that they're aspiring to, but I guess they're an underdog in a sense. So maybe the Dockers have a, have a little soft spot. Also, Tony Modra went they there. did. So a bit of a soft spot for the Dockers maybe. Uh, and finally, uh, this year, um, obviously the expectations for, uh, uh, for the Crows are quite modest. What do you want to get out of this year? What would be a pass mark for you? It's a hard question because after the disappointment of last year, the embarrassment of last year, and given what's happened with the club over the last few years, I don't have the highest of expectations, but I'm also not, you know, down on the crows and, and wanting to kick the crows. And I want to see, I want to see a couple of young guys really have a great season, a great consistent season, and you know, stamp their their, their mark on the competition and become household names. I want to see that. Uh, I, I look if I had to put a number on it, you know, I'd be happy with a top ten, a top ten finish. Ideally, top six, um, but the top ten would be okay. Realistically, where do you think you'll finish? Um, 14. <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, it's it's really hard. You, it's hard. I mean, look on paper, yes, when we're not looking great, but it's it's really interesting, and this is why, again, this is why sport is so so brilliant. It's really interesting what confidence can do for a team and if let's say you know we're playing Geelong let's say we 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 have a win and then there's a bit of momentum it it's you can't write anybody off yeah I think look as someone who's barracked for a team that's been in a rebuild for the last well up until last year 10 year <laughs> rebuild all you're looking for is uh like an upset win you know maybe one you'll, you'll knock off a west coast or a Geelong or something like that or you want to see some development in your plays. You want to see that, you know, draft pick in his third year, averaging 20 disposals a game. Like, that's the green shoots yeah. you've got to look for. Um, I'm quite yeah. bullish on the Crows. I think that you've gone through the hard part. You've had the clear out. You've moved, moved on coaches' administration. It's a fresh start for you guys now. But this is probably the biggest challenge you've ever had as a club, starting from this position, yeah. particularly yeah. how public the kind of uh, embarrassment was after the grand final, then the collective minds and then the clean out. But now that's done. Like you don't, you're not going to go backwards. Like there's not more pain to come. I think now it's only on the way up. So I am hopeful for the grows. I don't know. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not sure if I'm seeing a top six finish, but I think it could be a better year than most people are predicting. I hope you're right. And you know, yes. Uh, what was it? Three, four years ago, we, we, we're a grand final team and favourites win the grand final. And then last year we were bottom. Um, it, it can change very, very quickly. All it takes is a, is a couple of players who are turning it on at the right times and a confidence and momentum. And I, I'm quietly optimistic. I think we're going to be better than most people think we will be this year. I mean, the Crows, I, I'll be completely honest, it feels like we are kind of the punchline at the moment heading into this season and, and a little bit of a laughing stock. And I understand that, mm. but okay, that's good. Let's use that to our advantage. Let, let's shock some people. Let's go for it. Let's get Blighty on the phone. <laughs> Why not? Dra drag him back from the Gold Coast, <laughs> get him working again. Get him off the golf course. <laughs> Sam, thank you so much for your time. This has been great. Thanks, Charlie. Um, well done, mate. Love the podcast and, and love what you're doing with Will as well. And um, yeah, if you ever want to chat about the 97 grand final, I'm always... I'm sorry, we're running out of time. I'm going to have to, I'm not going to, have to go. Ending the call now. <laughs> we're the pride of South Australia. We're the mighty and late grow.